0: Welcome to STD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Oh, so cool. Well, I, uh... I'm agreeing with Amy. I'm loving this series. It's just so cool hearing um, the, the stories that are coming out of our church and how God is at work. And, and one of the things that I've, um, I've seen is there's just stories from all over the map, you know, all different life stages and places in life. But they do have something in common, which is uh, Jesus met them exactly where they were, and then he wouldn't let them stay there. He was taking them on a journey. And that's where all of us are at, is hopefully we're all on a spiritual journey, and um, that is with Jesus. And so uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to continue on in our series. And uh, we have a couple more folks that we're going to highlight from our church. And then we have some people coming from outside of our church that have some amazing stories as well. And so I talked about that. Uh, we have um, a former mafia boss who uh, found uh, Jesus in prison and uh, a KGB um, double agent who also found Jesus. And then we have Josh McDowell, famous um, theologian and author and apologist. And um, we're working on a, actually, we're waiting back on a couple more speakers, but that's going to be for the, the uh, rest of the summer. So we have a, we have a lot that's happening here. We're very excited about that. One other thing I just want to say real quick, um, someone came up to me last week and they said, hey, um, you know, we've been going here for a little bit, but we've decided after, you know, kind of being in this faith journey, we want to begin to tithe. And I said, praise Jesus. And uh, they said, but we don't know how. And I said, oh yeah, that's right. We don't do the buckets or anything like that anymore because we don't want to feel like, you know, you're obligated to give if you're visiting with us. And, uh, and so uh, I probably should highlight how you do give around here. There are boxes, that are offering Boxes on the way out if you want to give in person, or most people just give online. So if you go onto our website, lots of different ways to give. You can even give on your phone and set up stuff like that. So uh, if you are a person who this is your church family, we do, of course, encourage you to do that. So today is going to be the last day of our series where we have been going through the book of Joshua. Joshua. And we're going to end up, actually, we're going to fast forward to the last chapter, chapter 24. And um, let me just set the scene a little bit for you. Is What is taking place is Joshua um, has been on this journey. And eventually he ends up into the promised land. They go and they defeat uh, all the peoples that are uh, occupying the promised land, and they take it over and they bring peace, and now they have a place that is their home. And so Joshua, as a very old man who has gone through this, he knows that this is going to be the last time that he addresses the people of Israel. And so this is like his farewell speech. And so what he does is, in the first half of his speech, he recounts all that God has done. He starts all the way with Abraham and how God called Abraham, and then he journeys through all you know through abraham and then he ends up and eventually they end up in egypt and then they're freed from egypt by moses and the desert and the promised land and and eventually to where they are right there and so if you're not church person you're like i have no idea what all that story is doesn't matter you'll catch up later okay and so he he ends with the first half of of his message ends with this verse 13 So, I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And so he just gets done um, with this whole history of how they got to where they are. And then he says, And by the way, you need to remember that everything that you have, you didn't earn any of it. It's all a gift from God. And there seems to be this reoccurring theme within Joshua, especially when he does these um, speeches is he's very concerned about the people of Israel remembering who got them there. So if you go back to week one of our series, we talked about when they crossed the Red Sea. And it was this miraculous event. And so what Joshua does is, after they all crossed the sea, he says, now go and grab 12 stones and we're going to build a monument. And this is going to be so that future generations, when they walk by, they will remember, oh yeah, this is what God did here. And so um, what he's trying to do here as he recounts this history is he's trying to help them remember. And the reason is because they're about to face a new type of danger. The new danger is not that they have to go and they have to fight for their land. All their enemies have been defeated. They're in a time of peace and prosperity, which is going to bring a whole other set of challenges. And one of the central challenges is that they will act like they got themselves there. So maybe you've heard this saying before, uh, you were born on third base, but act like you hit a triple. That's what he's worried about here, is the future generations are going to be standing on the shoulders of giants, and they're going to think, yes, we did this. All the blessings that we have is because of our wisdom and because of our strength. And he's worried about that, because when they begin to think that they're the ones who accomplish this, and instead, uh, instead of God they're going to start to fall into, well, we'll we'll see in a minute. But I think there's a lesson already here to be learned. Is if I look at the Western world, and we'll take the United States specifically, I think that this is an error that we're falling into. Is we have forgotten what got us here. Is we forgot all all of our history and specifically the spiritual and moral foundations. The Judeo-Christian worldview that it was built upon. And not only have we begun to forget, but we've begun to reject those foundations. I kind of think of it like um, like a spoiled kid, where, where they've always been given these incredible blessings, and so eventually they think that they're entitled to those things, and not only do they reject their parents, but, uh, but they begin being hostile towards the very people who gave them those things. I sort of feel like that's where we might be heading as a culture. And not just as a culture, but if we're not careful, we can do this as a church, is we forget who got us here and we become entitled to it. And so my guess is, in this room, um, there is very few, if anyone, who helped purchase the property that we are, are currently standing on. And there's a majority of you, and we know this through our statistics, is a majority of you actually weren't even here when we built, or came after we built this building, so you didn't even pay for the seats that you're sitting in. And that's okay, But the problem is, is we can begin to take all of these things for granted that we have and then think that we're entitled to them. Ugh, can you believe how far we had to walk from the parking lot to get into this auditorium? (laughs) Ugh, ridiculous, I think. Like, I got my free coffee earlier, and the sleeve barely fit on there. Yeah, I have to bring an extra sweater because that A.C. is chilly. we start to think that we're entitled to these things. and I get it. I'm the same way. And I don't mean to necessarily shame you, although some of those things may be. But um, the reason why God blesses us with these things is not so that we'll feel guilty about them. It's so that we will be humbled by them, that we will feel gratitude about how good God has been to us. And so one of the things I like doing is um, taking people to a third world country for the first time. Because they just are opened up to a whole different world of how people live. And some people just can't even handle it. They start to get embarrassed and feel guilty. They just think, oh my goodness, this is how they live. This is how we live. And I can't believe I was complaining about that. And I say, "Look, look, the deal is not to feel guilty about what God has given us. It is to feel gratitude. And so I think that one of the things that we have to do as we recount all the things that we have been given... Is, and I think this is maybe what Joshua was trying to get at, and when he 's rehearsing all of israel 's history is so that we will walk around with a sense of gratitude. So can you imagine if you woke up every morning and you just made a list of all the things that God gave you that you don't deserve? How different would you look at your life? The other night uh, uh, Friday night, I took my kids and wife uh, to our first ever baseball game, the Dodger game, and um, And I was just sitting there, and the kids are just going nuts, man. They're going crazy. And here's the deal with my wife. Uh, Love her to death, but if she's not two and a half hours early, we're late. And so we were there before they opened the gates. I got to know the janitorial staff because we were just hanging, you know. And so the kids are just going crazy, and she's just just giving them more sugar. Like, you want ice cream? All right, let's do ice. dippin' dots? Okay. And I'm like, what is going on? Anyway. And so I'm sitting there and my kids are dancing and they're having so much fun. Oh, and as a side note, so my, my middle child, Ezra, um, he loves baseball. He's like the one that w- why we're going to like baseball games and stuff. So he's been to two now. And um, both times he ended up on TV. I don't know what that says, but srats. <laughs> the camera loves us. <laughs> okay. Uh, just kidding. I've never been on TV. There <laughs> uh, ain't no camera trying to get me on there. Anyway, so... Uh, I'm sitting there and we're just, we're just having a blast. And I think, God, this is amazing. <laughs> this is such a cool, these, these kids, my wife, I'm just so thankful for them. And it's not just the big things, you know, there's that. And then there's, you know, I got into my car the other day. I got an old pickup truck, uh, not the one that you saw. I have a lot of old pickup trucks. I believe in more in uh, quantity than quality of vehicles. Uh, and so whichever one is running that day, that's the one I'll drive. No, but I, uh, I got in it, and just the air conditioning came on, and I just went, ah, oh, just the simple things in life, right? Just, isn't this just amazing? And what if we just walked onto this campus when we came to church, and instead of all the craziness of how we had to get here, and we had to drag the kids, and look, I get that. That was me this morning. But we just went, this is really cool. Can you believe that God has given us this? Like, your kids got picked up in a train and taken to their classrooms, a building dedicated to them. And then when they get out of class, they're going to take a two-story slide down. That's crazy. And we're sitting in this building, comfortable, enjoying. Yeah, sometimes the light might flash in your eye. Okay, whatever. But like, isn't this amazing? Some of you, that was like real. Some of you guys are like, okay, finally, thank you for saying that. Because I was going to write a note. But now that you said that, I won't have to write a note. Yeah, I, I, I've heard it. Okay. <laughs> but it's just, it's crazy, you know And Denise texted me right before And she said, hey, tell everybody we're making them pancakes for after service And they can eat them in the CLC Or they can have them in the kitchen I'm like, this is amazing And you know what? It's all God's grace Like, He did this we, Yeah, there was a lot of people who sacrificed And were faithful along the way, for sure But ultimately, it points back to God And this is kind of the big picture of our faith is we believe that our faith, including our very salvation, is something that we can never achieve. No matter how hard we want to work and all the things that we accomplish, it's all grace. It's all a gift. It is something that we have simply received. And so it's good to remind ourselves, everything we have is grace. Everything we have has been something that God has given us. And I think this gratitude uh, should then lead us to feeling responsible. See, Israel was given these incredible gifts, land and buildings, vineyards, olive groves. And, and so now that they've been given these gifts by God, he says, now I want you to be good stewards of it. I want you to maintain this. I want you to grow it. I want you to pass this on to future generations. This is true of all of us. Some of us are gonna say, oh, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I did this, really? I mean, yeah, you, you worked hard for sure, but how much of that did, was you? Like, did you determine when and where you were going to be born? How about the gifts that you have, the resources, the opportunities, the relationships, all that was you? I don't think so. All that's God. Same is true of our church. As I walk in here every single weekend, and I just think, what an incredible community that we get to be a part of. I, I want to make sure that, that I steward this. Whatever my role and responsibility is, I want to steward this well. These people and the, this place, I just want to make sure that, that God, when I meet him face-to-face one day, he goes, thanks, you did well. You did a good job. I gave you those gifts and you used them correctly. Now, it's not gonna be perfect, that's for sure, but every day I just pray, God, help me to be a good steward of what you've given us. So, um, Some of you are in uh, my life stage or part of, you know, kind of the millennial Gen X uh, generation. And so just real quick, I want to give like a side note to you guys. I was in a conversation this last week with with some friends who are in the same life stage. And I said, do you ever wake up and go, I'm the adult in the room. How did this happen? (laughs) Like, you know, like for so long I wasn't the adult in the room. And then it just feels like, oh, now people are looking at me and going, you're, the, you're responsible. You're the adult here, right? And I go, I don't want to be. Is that, can I decline that? How, does that? how does that work exactly? I remember when, um, when I first started to realize that I was the adult in the room is when I would go out to eat with my parents and then the check would come and they would look at me like. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, I would not have chosen this restaurant if this is the day I have become an adult. This is kind of outside of my, okay, all right. Um... But I think, I think some of us have, um, we're sitting at the adult table now and we need to start acting like it. Is we need to start stepping up. We need to start paying some bills. We need to be the ones who are picking up the slack. I listened to a leadership talk this week and this is kind of why it's on my mind. Um, he said, there is what is called a boomer apocalypse coming. And what he meant by this is, in the coming years, the boomers are going to get older. Sorry, bad news, boomers. I didn't mean to offend you, but it will, it will happen. Um, yeah, sorry. And the, the issue is, is, and this is a kudos to the boomers, is they have been the ones propping up all the institutions. They're the ones who are volunteering and paying the bills. And this is true of churches as well. And so what he says is either the next generation is going to have to step up and start to lead and start to pay their way, or these institutions are all going to fail. And so that reminded me, oh yeah, we're the ones who are supposed to be pulling our own weight these days. And I'm not saying that you're not. In fact, that is not even my point, because there are so many people who are. But if you're on the sidelines and you're thinking, you know, they'll figure it out. They've got more money. They've been doing this longer. I've got kids to raise. I've got a career to build. Hey, guess what? You're sitting at the big kids table now. This is—we got to step up. It's time for us to start doing something. Okay, that was my side note. Boomers, you can listen again. All right. <laughs> Someone said, I, "I can't hear though. I don't. I don't know." That's a good call. That was a great call. Thank you for that. Okay. <laughs> That would have been rude. I'm like, all right, turn your hearing aids off real quick. All right, here we go. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right, here we go. Verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Here's the point that he's making. And this is a point that we see throughout scripture is everybody worships something or someone. You can't help it. You were made to worship. And you're thinking, well, I'm not even a religious person. I don't even know if I believe in God. It doesn't matter. You will make something the ultimate aim of your life. You'll find your hope, your identity, your meaning. You just can't help it. It's in your DNA that you will worship something or someone. And the scripture says you can have two options. You can either worship God or you can worship something else. And that something else is called an idol. And so you get to choose are you going to continue to worship an idol, whatever that might look like, or will you worship God? Tim Keller points out that idols will always end up breaking our hearts. When you make your life about someone or something else besides God, you're always going to be disappointed in the end. Because although those might be really good things, they're never big enough to be God things. That they were never supposed to be the thing that bears the weight of your hopes and dreams. And so no matter how good they might be, they're always going to disappoint you in the end. Some cultures, they worship the state. They worship a leader, political ideology, uh, even a religion. But here's what's interesting about the culture that we live in. This is probably the first time in human history we, we've uh, attempted this. Is We have decided to worship ourselves. We believe... That the purpose of life is personal happiness, and that we realize this personal happiness through the pursuit of individual freedom, self definition and expression, total autonomy, the pursuit and fulfillment of whatever desires and goals that we might have. If you even look at how we determine what is true about the world, it is determined upon us, what we believe, what we think, and what we feel. We have made ourselves into little gods. And we've structured our entire lives towards this end. We see pretty much every arena of life as yet another tool to use in this pursuit of personal happiness. Our careers, our relationships, our bodies, our sexuality, all of those are solely for personal satisfaction. So Joshua says, you can either continue to choose to worship those idols, potentially yourself, or you can choose to worship God. And then he pushes the issue a little bit, and he says, now choose today whom you will worship. And he doesn't just mean today, like, okay, today I make the choice, and then I don't have to do it again. He, he means make it today, and then you're going to have to make it every day after this. It's sort of like a, a marriage. Is uh, 14 years ago, my wife and I stood in front of one another and said, I choose you. And that was the first day that we chose to spend the rest of our lives together. But I have had to affirm and re-up on that decision every single day since then. And I'll be honest, I failed at it pretty miserably the first few years. One time Amy and I were in a, um, we call them discussions. We were in a discussion. Sounds like arguments, but much more Christian. Um, <laughs> and, and I realized that in our discussion... Um, whatever we were were discussing was not the real issue. There was clearly something else going on there. And then she finally blurted out, why don't you ever tell me that you appreciate me and you think I'm beautiful? Uh, Yeah, no, uh, well, wait till you hear my response. Uh, (laughs) This was years ago. I'm different now, you guys. Um, My response was, well, of course I think you're beautiful. That's why I married you. Oh, no, I followed it up with, don't be so insecure. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah. no, it went really well. It went really well. Recently, she let me sleep in, in the bed again, so that was cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I, I very quickly realized, uh, okay, I didn't just commit to you that one day and say, okay, don't you remember I committed to you 14 years ago? Wasn't that enough? No, 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 it's every day I have to remind her that I'm committed to her, that I love her, that I appreciate her. And then I fast forward a few more years and I realized just saying it wasn't even enough. Because sometimes words become hollow unless there's actions that are attached to it. And so she started calling me out and she'd go, look, don't tell me I look cute in sweatpants. Take out the trash like I asked you to. And I'm like, what? (laughs) But it's easier for me to sit on the couch and say, hey, babe, you look great in the kitchen. Those sweatpants look amazing. She's like, I don't believe you. Go take out the trash. It's like, ah, okay, I've got to do something. All right, all right, all right. And that's kind of what Joshua is saying as he's telling them, look, you got not only commit verbally, I'm committed today, but you have to do something. He says here, throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped. He says, Come and proclaim that you are committed. That's what we're doing here today. When we we're singing those songs, we are saying, I am committed to you, God. And that's a really good thing. But then when we leave here, we have to follow it up with actions. Now, here is how I prioritize my life in order to affirm the, the commitment that I've made to you. I've said you're number one, and then I've showed you that you're number one in my life. And then he gets to probably the most famous line of his speech. He says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. There's been a question that I've wrestled with for a number of years now, um, Because as a pastor's kid, I've seen a lot of people come and go from the church. And not just come and go from the church, but come and go from the faith. People whom I thought were really committed seemed to walk away. And I couldn't quite figure out why. And and here was the bigger question I was really wrestling with was, and why have I stayed? Like I had many opportunities where I could have walked away from the faith. I had opportunities to go and do something else besides be a pastor. And yet I continued to come back to it. Why? And I'll tell you, it has very little to do with me, because if you know, and I've shared this before, my my natural disposition is to be f- skeptical, cynical, self-centered, and fairly uncaring. I'm trying to see, yeah, that's all my wife listed for today. Um, <laughs> look, not great qualities for a Christian, let alone a pastor. And yet, even though I think all my natural dispositions would pull me away from faith. I keep coming back. I can't walk away from this thing. Why? I think a big reason, of course, is God, but also is my parents, is my parents did everything that they could within their power to pass on their faith to me. They said that one of our most important goals in life is to make sure that our kids grow up to be people who follow Jesus. And they didn't just tell me this. I actually remember them, uh, this one circumstance in my life. I was 16 years old, and I was starting to head in a a very bad direction. And I had some decisions to make. And my parents saw what was happening, and they saw that I was at a crossroads, and I was either going to decide to follow God or I was going to go my own way. And they sat me down, and I remember this conversation. They sat me down, and they said, Cody, here's the deal. We are willing to go and resign pastoring that church tomorrow. Tomorrow. And we will if we need to in order to make sure that you keep your life on track. We will walk away from everything that we have done and we will move our family away if that's what it takes because we have three priorities in life. We want to follow God. We want to have a lifelong marriage and we want our kids to love Jesus. If we fail at any of those three things, it doesn't matter what else we do. It doesn't matter what kind of church we get to be. All of that is going to be nothing if we fail at these three things, and so if we have to, we will walk away tomorrow. See, what that told me was their life and the way that they viewed success in life was I'm going to honor God, I'm going to love my wife, and my kids are going to follow the Lord, and those are my three priorities. See, I think Joshua is saying the same thing. He's making a commitment. And this guy has done more than you and I could have ever imagined to do. I mean, he's brought an entire nation into the promised land. And yet he says, if I don't do this one thing, where I have myself and my family follow the Lord, then it's all for naught. Everything is worthless unless I get this one thing right. And here's what he says. He takes ownership. He says, my family. Not the whole nation, not even our community, not even our friends. But he says, my family, I am going to do everything within my power and strength to make sure that they follow the Lord. Now, I understand you cannot force them. Their people are going to do what they're going to do. But what he's saying here is there are a lot of things that I can do to help guide and shape my family to follow the Lord. And so I will do everything I can. He says, it's my responsibility. Just like as a parent, I look at the, the safety of my children as my responsibility. I look at their spiritual well-being as my responsibility, too. And so he says, I will do everything I can. I'm not going to abdicate my responsibility and drop them off in Sunday school and go, oh, they'll figure it out. You know, an hour every couple of weeks. I'm sure that will help. Or, oh, no, 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 it's my wife. She's the spiritual one, so I'm going to allow her to help shape the kids. No, 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 no. My responsibility Specifically, Joshua as the man. Now, here's the harsh reality. Is in our culture, we have a crisis of manhood. If you want to know what the future of a society looks like, look at what the family looks. Look at the family. The condition of our families right now is about 40% of children are born to unwed mothers. And so if you want to know what our future is going to look like, go ahead and look at that. Because we know that the future of a society is built upon the family. And this isn't just true of a society, this is true of a spiritual life as well. There's a book by an NYU professor called The Faith of the Fatherless, and he wanted to know what, what drives people to be an atheist or a theist. And so he looked at the most popular atheists and theists of the 20th century, and here's the conclusion that he came to. He said the theists were raised by fathers who loved them and followed God in a real way. The atheists either had no father figure or they had a poor relationship with their fathers. Those were the differences. So if, if let me give you another stat. It came out, in the, I think, this last week. It said that belief in God is the lowest it's been in all of American history. And I can give you lots of reasons why this may be, but the first place that I would start if I were going to answer that question is um, probably in the home. And the first person I would talk to is the dad. And the first question that I would ask him is, is this a top priority in your life, to raise kids who love the Lord? And don't just tell me. I actually want to see. Let me see what you do with your time and your money and your energy. Oh, see, see, what this tells me is you're actually more concerned about having fun with your kids, which is great, but... That's what you're prioritizing. You want them to get really good grades so they can get into a good school and get a good job and make lots of money. That's actually what you prioritize here. And so we have a choice. And here's the, the honest truth is unless you make this a top priority in your life, they will walk away from the faith. It, the cultural pull is so strong that the next generation, unless you do everything within your power to try to shape and guide them, they're going to be swept away. And so Joshua says, I take responsibility. I take ownership. And he continues on in verse 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been so good to you. He's not really going light on them, Really? In his farewell speech, he says, you you know how good God has been to us? Well, you you have the opportunity, and he's given you the free will to decide if you'll continue to follow him or not. And he says, and what will happen is, if you don't follow him, you're going to end up like just all the other nations and all the other people who decided to rebel against God. And so when we hear this, we think, oh, what's God going to rain down, you know, lightning and and, uh, fire and turn me into a pillar of salt like Sodom and Gomorrah? And No. He's not going to do that at all. Here's the genius of God. God has created the, way, the world in such a way that he has embedded his discipline and punishment into the very fabric of his creation. He doesn't have to intervene in your life. You will experience the natural consequences of your decisions, and he will allow that to happen. So, for example, uh, let's say that you, you cheat on your spouse. God doesn't have to rain down fire. Your wife will. <laughs> but, but seriously... There will be loss of trust, potentially many broken relationships, tons of guilt and shame. God doesn't have to punish you. The punishment is ingrained and embedded into the very creation. So he says, decide. Who are you going to worship? If you decide to worship other gods, there will be discipline. There will be punishment. And I think we're beginning to see the consequences of that as a culture. See, we were told that we could worship ourselves and that <clears throat> through the worship of ourselves, we would realize uh, and, and, and come to this fulfillment of our hopes and our dreams. So let me give you a quick uh, sketch of what we've been sold. I call this the hedonistic American dream, a.k.a. party in the USA. Here's what it looks like. <clears throat> they told us uh, that we could, if we worked really hard and got good grades... We could go to a great school, get a great job, find our spouse, buy our dream home, have this amazing career, retire and travel the world, and as we do that, we can decide if we want to push off major decisions, like getting married, don't wait, you wait till later. But until then, you can consume as much alcohol, weed, and pornography as you want, and sleep with whomever you want, and there will be no consequences or regret. And we went, sign me up. And you know what happened? it didn't work. It didn't work. None of it worked. Some of us are waking up and we're going, wait a minute, I was sold this American dream and it looks like I'm actually going to do worse, and this is the first time in American history, I'm going to do worse financially than my parents did. And so none of that's happening. And all the, by the way, the pursuit of all this pleasure, yeah, I woke up and I've got an addiction, I've got lifelong consequences and tons of guilt and shame. And there is a small group of people who said, no, it all worked for me. I got the American dream. I've got the house. I've got the kids. I've got the car. I've got everything. But you know what? Even with all of it, it hasn't brought this utopia that I thought it would. I think that's part of the reason why we see that we are the most anxious and depressed generation in American history. It's because we were sold something, and it's simply not working. And here's what I think is probably going to happen in the coming years, is Culture is going to become more hostile and more angry and frustrated because we were sold a vision of what it could look like to worship ourselves. It's not working, and so we have to make a choice. We can either do what Joshua says, which is we can turn and we can say, you know what, I'm not worshiping myself anymore. I'm going to worship God. Or we can double down and begin to blame other people. That's why it's not working. It's that political party that is standing in my way. It's those unjust laws. It's the income inequality, the racism. It's their backwards beliefs and ideology. That's why things aren't working, and I need to topple them or rid our our culture of these people. The real issue is, yeah, maybe there's issues for sure. They need addressed, but that's not going to help. The real issue is you have chosen to worship an idol instead of God. And He said this was going to be a consequence. He ends the talk with this. Verse 25, on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there, at Shechem, he reaffirmed them for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak, near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. J- the very end of Joshua's speech is about the future. And it's not his future. He knows this is the end. He's 110 years old. He goes, Look, my future is non-existent. What I'm most concerned about is the future of Israel. I'm concerned that they may, they may forget what got them here. They may forget of God's faithfulness. And they may cease to follow God, and all that I have done will be in vain. I watched a talk this last week from a, an economist, and he's a billionaire investor, Ray Dalio, and he was talking about what he thinks the social and economic future of the West is. And it was a very interesting talk because he, he went and he looked at our, our recent history of how we got to where we are, and he traced this, this simple sketch. He says, well, right after World War II, what happened was the United States became the most dominant power in the world. We had the greatest military, half the world's economy, and 80% of the world's money. And with that came a season of peace and prosperity because all the people that had fought in that war, they came home and after all they had seen and all they had experienced, they had been incredibly humbled and also saw this, this newfound peace and prosperity as an incredible blessing that they needed to steward well. The problem was, was as they got further and further away from that, and generations came up behind them, they got used to not only the peace and prosperity, but they thought that they were entitled to it. They deserved it. And not only did they deserve that, but they deserved even more. And so what we started to do, we started started to spend more and borrow more and spend more and borrow more. He gave us an example. He said, at one point, our per capita income was 40 times China's, and yet we began borrowing from them so that we could spend more. He compares um, where we're at with another nation, Singapore, and he says this. He says, Singapore, 20% of their annual budget is paid for by their savings. Previous generations had accumulated large amounts of reserves so that future generations would be set up to succeed. He says, now you look at America, and currently we are $30 trillion in debt and it's still climbing. And who is going to have to pay for that? The future generations. So my point is not economical, it's actually philosophical and theological, is we as Christians specifically or primarily, we have the responsibility to not only care for the next generation but to set them up for success. We have to help the next generation win. We may not be able to change culture and affect what's going on there, but I I can tell you this is we can change the church, specifically this one. And here at Seacoast, we are going to do everything that we can do in order to fight for and set up and resource the next generation to win. And what I mean by win is become people, specifically become people, become adults who follow Jesus. That is one of our goals here. I was telling Doyle about this message, um, and he said, you know, you kind of challenged me on, on this idea. Because my life verse has always been Acts 13. David had served God's purposes in his own generation. He thought, I'm going to go, I'm going to serve my generation, and then it's up to you guys. And I said, Dad, that's not the whole story. Because what David did is, as he served his generation, and he, he began to, to, to come to the end of his life, you know what he did? He set up Solomon and the next generation to serve God. He said, yeah, you know what, you're right. Because the the battle, even though I may not be here to see it, and you may not be here to see it, it is still going to happen. And so we want to win the spiritual battle for the next generation. And so we have to resource and support them so that they may fight it well. Next generation is going to face and is facing um, spiritual battles, cultural, moral battles that I don't think any of us could have imagined. Even just a few years ago, we would have thought, there's no way. And yet, here we are. And I don't see it, it stopping. And so I, as a parent, uh, just to speak honestly, am, am concerned about what they're going to face. About, I, can't even, I don't even know what channel to let them watch anymore because I don't know if it's going to align with my beliefs or, or even totally contradict what I'm teaching them at home. And so I don't say this to scare us, although we should be very aware. I say this so that we understand what we're facing. And I actually do see it as an opportunity, believe it or not, I see this opportunity because now my kids know what it means to follow Jesus. They know why we live differently. And I get to show them this is why Jesus is a better way than what the whole world is offering. And we get to be a stark contrast between us and the rest of the world because we're not going to be caught up in that cultural pull. We're going to love people. We're going to serve people. But we're also going to be confident in who we worship. And so in the coming, uh, coming months, We're going to talk about how do we prepare the next generation to win? How do we resource them? How do we support them? We have some great stuff that's coming up in the fall that I think you're really going to be pumped about. But we'll get to all that. Here's what I want to end with. Joshua does this. He does two things. He commits to do everything he can to influence and guide his family to follow God. This is my responsibility. These are my children. These are my grandchildren. I will do whatever I can do to shape and guide them to become people who love the Lord. And the second thing he does is he invites the rest of the community to do the the same. He says, come and join me. We're all heading in the same direction. We can support, we can can, um, um, guide one another, we can keep each other accountable because we are people who have dedicated today and for the rest of our days to follow the Lord. And so that's the question for us. Choose today whom you will serve, but don't just say it, show it. Let's pray. Lord God. uh, When I think about what the next generation is facing, um, sometimes it feels daunting, sometimes it feels a little bit scary, but whenever I think about the challenges that people have faced uh, throughout church history, throughout the scriptures, I remember that it is during those times of challenge is when, when you step up and you reveal yourself the most, and so, Lord God, we see this as an opportunity. We see this as a time in which we, as a church family, can step up and we can say, you know what, we are going to fight for the next generation because we want them to follow you. And so, Lord God, uh, today, I pray, even as we have kids that are going to camp and we, we have um, leaders that are going to be influencing, we pray that you, would, that you would give us the insight, that you would help us to resource and support the next generation so that they may follow you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Will you guys stand with me? Thank you guys so much for being here. There's pancakes over at the Kids Building. CLC is open to hang out. Other than that, we'll see you next week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.